Thank you for listening to audio content from South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. For more information or resources, visit us online at southcities.church. So Lord, we want to see what you have for us and for our hearts from this uh, relatively obscure prophet. We want to see how these words that you've spoken through him stretch into our day. And Lord, we want your, your words to bring us life, new life, life that runs away from sin and runs towards you, life that puts all of our hope in you and not in ourselves. So come as we celebrate this season, set our hearts on you, set our hearts on what you've done for us, set our hearts on who you are. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you may be wondering why Zephaniah for an Advent series I chose it because it's everybody's favorite book. That's why. You could tell from the, the reading. The, the reason I chose Zephaniah is I've found as a pastor over a bunch of years of pastoring now that Christmas is this kind of odd season. Uh, Advent is this kind of odd season where emotions are high, expectations are high, obligations are high, and yet during and in the middle and maybe particularly after the season, normally the expectations weren't met and normally the emotions are filled with a mix of pain and joy and and normally all that we've been hoping for didn't quite come to fruition, right? All the Hallmark movies aren't always true, right? Sometimes it, it doesn't go that well and sometimes it goes poorly and sometimes the broken relationship is heightened and highlighted after the gathering. And I just think it's really easy in this season to just lose sight of what's most deeply true and what's most deeply real. And Zephaniah, kind of just like a a hammer in a way, (laughs) says, hey, here's what's most true and here's what's most real. And what I want for us by the end of this book is what we'll see is that the way this book works is that there's, yeah, there's lots of judgment and and talk about sin, but in the midst, there's going to be these glimmers of hope that by the end on Christmas Eve is going to explode with our God singing over us. And so that's where we're headed, that I just pray that your heart is filled with hope to the point of exploding in singing to the God who sings over us by the end of this season, because Advent speaks of sure hope between two victories of Christ, right? The, the victory in his death for sin and resurrection to save his people and the victory that's coming when he returns to bring his people into his presence forever. And for those trusting in Jesus, it's a sure hope. It's a sure hope. It's, it's not like a hope that we sometimes run after, like I hope my job goes well, I hope I get a bonus, I hope my kids obey, I hope this relationship gets repaired. It's not like those hopes that have us running on a treadmill, always wondering what's next. It's like a sure and steady hope that if we can see what's most true and most real, we can wake up day after day, despite the circumstances, despite the realities of our life, and go, I am his and he is mine. I'm his and he is mine. So Zephaniah is a book that's gonna point us to these greatest realities as we see the prophet speak to Judah and watch his words stretch right into our reality today. So let's dive in here. Point number one is that sin is serious. So let me first give you a brief introduction to Zephaniah. God loved his people enough to send prophets to remind them of reality, 
Oftentimes when we think of prophecy, we think of kind of prediction in the future, and, and some of that is here. But mostly what these prophets are doing is they're, they're reading the law of God and they're talking to the people of God and saying, hey, look at what God has said about the way you act. If you act this way, you can expect this. And if you act this way, you can expect this. And so these prophets are coming on the scene as a reminder of reality. They're coming on the scene as a loving reminder of reality. If you read Zephaniah 1, you might think that doesn't sound real loving. But what they're trying to do is that there's a God who wants them to enjoy him, wants them to enjoy his promises. He's slow to anger and giving many chances for his people to turn through these prophets speaking his word. And in verse 1, we find out that Zephaniah was a prophet sent to bring a word of God to the people of Judah during the reign of King Josiah, probably around the same time Jeremiah was prophesying. And he was probably prophesying near the time that King Josiah found the book of the law that had been disregarded somewhere in the temple many, many years ago. And when he found the book of the law, King Josiah started this radical Godward reform to try and return to the Lord. And so the, the people this is landing on are people who, yes, are God's people, but also, yes, have forgotten that God even has a law. <laughs> been disregarded in the temple and are, are just waking up again to the reality that God is real and what he says is serious. This is a prophet, we will see, writing to a people that are surrounded by sinful culture, but who had also forgotten and disregarded God's commands themselves. So what is he supposed to say from the Lord to this people? Well, the first thing I think he's supposed to say is sin is Serious. In verses two to three, he talks about all mankind being cut off, everything being torn to rubble. And then listen to his words in verses four to six. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I'll cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests, those who bow down on the roofs to the host of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. God is going to stretch out his hand against his people if they don't repent. Why? Because they're not worshiping him anymore. Right? Because there are some people and some priests who are serving other gods. Baal is being worshipped. There are some people who are worshiping the stars or the moon or the sun. There are some people who are still worshiping the Lord, but at the same time also worshiping Milcom, right? This, this God of the ancient times. And in all these cases, it's clear that they are not seeking the only true God. It says they don't inquire of me. Here's a people marked by God, redeemed by God, brought out of captivity by God, and they don't talk to him anymore. They don't even act like he's real, right? What, what would tell God that we don't take him seriously more than just never talking to him, never inquiring of him, never acting like he's real? In other words, this is a people with either wrong or divided interests. Listen to verses 8 and 9. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, note that word sacrifice, that's what he's talking about, all this punishment, it's a sacrifice. On the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials... And the king's sons 
And all who array themselves in foreign attire, on that day I'll punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. So you're probably thinking, phew, I have not leapt over any thresholds recently. That's good news. Right? What does that mean? Right? It was this bizarre kind of uh, ceremony that happened in the worship of other gods, and they were doing that in the temple. Here we see that there are those who have made allegiances with others who don't worship the Lord. There are those who are filling the temple with false, bizarre ceremonies not prescribed by the Lord. Those who are filling the temple with violence and fraud, taking this place that's supposed to be a house of worship and turning into everything else besides worship. They're mixing worship of God with worship of idols. In verse 17, makes really clear the problem and what the Lord thinks of this. Here's what it says. I'll bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind. Here's the key phrase. Because they have sinned against the Lord, their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Now that sounds harsh to our ears. <laughs> you don't like write that to people even when you're really angry at them, right? And I hope your blood is poured out like dust and your flesh like dung, right? It's not the way we talk. Uh, but it's holy justice. It really is holy justice. This is not wrong. God is not making a mistake. He is not confused here. So let me give you a definition for sin from this chapter. Definition for sin from this chapter and why it's such a big deal. Sin is any thought or action that does not treat God as the greatest treasure of all reality and the Lord of all to be obeyed to find true life. I'm going to say it again. What is sin? Why is it such a big deal? Sin is any thought or action that does not treat God as the greatest treasure of all reality and the Lord of all to be obeyed to find true life. In other words, he's the greatest treasure and he's Lord. <laughs> Both of those matters, our affections and our obedience. Anything not in line in our affections or our thoughts and in what we actually do is sin. And if you think about these people, they were God's people and yet they didn't even know they had the law. It's how far they had drifted. Right? It wasn't like anyone was looking for it. We, we find out that Josiah like, finds out about it as they're like, cleaning or looking in other, around other things. They go, well, what's this? That's how far away they were from operating with God even on their minds. God had redeemed them, and yet they were still happy to mix their worship or ignore him and run after other things as if they were God. And they, maybe like us, were living in a time of waiting for their Savior. Do you used to admit that sometimes it's hard to go, yeah, he's really going to come back on a white horse and make all things new. Sometimes it's kind of hard to bring that into your everyday reality. You just feel like you're, you're waiting for something, but like, what are we waiting for, right? I can pick this thing up, right? This thing moves. This feels real. I can pound on it, right? This feels more real than Jesus coming back. And so they're in this, this season of waiting, and maybe because of that wait, he just didn't seem real enough to obey or listen to him. You can't see him. We can't touch him. Because of the wait, they had forgotten and ignored him. Kids, maybe you can relate to this when your parents aren't around. Is it a little bit easier to think maybe you don't have to obey every rule they make for you? Your parents aren't around, maybe you think, oh, I can get away with a little bit more. They might not like this, but they're not here right now. It's kind of like that. Where's God? Where is he? 
A New Testament update for us would be something like Hebrews 10, 28 to 29. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So think of think this people of Judah, right? That's where they are. They have not just set it aside. They didn't even know they had it anymore. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? So it might be easy to write off Zephaniah, but it's a little bit harder to write off Hebrews. Right? That's a little bit closer to home. He's writing to the, the church. Those who know the blood of Jesus to save us are here in this room, and yet when we turn to other things, what we're doing, the author of Hebrews says, we're, we're setting aside the blood of Jesus. It's not, not important in this moment, not important for me right now. So we should ask ourselves, right, do we have divided interests Right? We might not be those who are jumping over any thresholds, but maybe we meditate on our Bibles a lot less than we do on our sports teams or our fantasy stats. Right? I hear all the time from, from people like, yeah, I just, it's hard to memorize, it's hard to find time to dwell, but man, like the way we can rattle off our stats and, and all these things, like that that's doesn't seem as hard, right? You can do it. And so, so our divided interests are here. Right? Do we like to listen to God's word more? Or do we like to listen to gossip more? Just ask yourself the question, would you rather like be alone with God, fellowship with him all the time? Would you rather be the one who gets to hear that thing, right? Oh, that's, I know something special. I know something going on. Who do you like to listen to more? Do we say we love forgiveness in Christ, and yet we find ourselves nursing bitterness and frustration towards others at every turn? When you're alone, your thoughts run to how forgiving you are or how frustrating that other person is. Do we find rest in Jesus who's paid for our sins or do we ultimately find rest in a comfortable life without struggle? Do we struggle to find time to fellowship with Jesus but have plenty of time for news, social media, or whatever else? Do we keep our broken, sinful addictions secret to keep nursing them but then keep coming to the communion table like everything's okay. These are signs that we've forgotten or disregarded God's words. What threshold are you jumping over? Right? What, what threshold? And this, this is going to be the constant thing that we need. What is Zephaniah's first job? What does the Bible do over and over again? Well, he reminds God's people that sin is serious because God is holy and the treasure and Lord of all. Point number two, God sees our sin. Look at Zephaniah 1, 12 to 13. It says, at that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent. Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Their goods shall be plundered and their houses laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. So the picture here is of a people who are complacent and yet hiding in the darkness, right? They're, they're in secret places doing these things. Maybe secret rooms in the temple. Some commentators say that. Maybe just secret places in the city. And the picture is God's going, I've got lamps. My light goes to dark places. You can't hide from me anywhere. 
And so here we get to the heart of the matter. It's not just that these people are ignorant. It's that they're complacent. They're pretty sure God doesn't see them in the darkness. They don't know that he's got these lamps. But if he does see, he probably doesn't care that much, right? The Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. In other words, what's God going to do about it? I haven't seen him do anything about it lately. But he does see, and because he's holy, he can't just let it remain. God's patience is meant to give people time to remember him and repent, but instead, they're taking his patience and turning it into complacency. Have you ever had that idea yourself? I think, I think we do <laughs> all the time. Like, I don't think this is that strange, right? Just one more time looking at this stuff, then I'll stop. This is the last time. Right, one more time doing this thing I know I shouldn't do, and then I'll stop. This is the last time. One more time raising my voice in anger at my kids or my coworkers or my boss or my spouse or whoever. This is the last time. One more time telling that little white lie. No one knows. It's not hurting anybody. One more time gossiping, right? I mean, they kind of deserve it anyways. One more time letting my heart be filled with bitterness and just passively letting my mind run to all the things I hate about this person. One more time saying these foolish words, careless, foolish words, right? Those, those don't really matter. It's kind of funny to joke this way. And maybe in our minds we think, it hasn't cost me anything. It's not like I've lost anything. It's been going on for a while. God doesn't seem to be like coming down with fire and brimstone towards me right now. Can't be that big of a deal. Now, we wouldn't actually say that out loud, Right, if someone knew us or called us on those things. But I'm trying to get at the heart of how we act day to day. Or maybe we, we feel that weight, but we think, but like I do a lot of good things too. Like I'm kind of important in God's economy. Maybe because of the, the good I do can outweigh the bad. Because of the important things I do, these things aren't that big of a deal. And verse 18 just takes that idea Right away, it says, neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. His point being, there is no status that can deliver you. There's no wealth that can deliver you. There's no power that can deliver you. There's no popularity. There's no good family or good grades or good works. We can't bribe God. We cannot deliver ourselves. God sees our sin and he cares about it. And I, that was a, a healthy reminder for me this week. God sees my sin and he cares about it. Point number three, the day of wrath is coming. It just keeps getting better, doesn't it? Point number three. So Advent reminds us that his second coming is this really sweet thing we get to celebrate. Baby Jesus comes, born in a manger, lives a perfect life we couldn't live, dies a death we deserve to die, is raised again to bring us new life. We get to be with him when he comes back. All those who trust in him and repent come into his presence where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. It's good news. But it will also be a time where he completely does away with sin and those who persist in sin and ignore him and don't repent and keep their worship mixed will receive his Wrath, a day of gloom, it's called, in Zephaniah. A day is coming. In Zephaniah 1.7, look at it. It says, be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. Zephaniah calls his people to silence, 
And if in the Old Testament and throughout the Bible, we'll see it in Revelation here in a month or so as well, throughout the Bible, this is often a sign of reverent waiting. It's a kind of holy hush before a holy God. And Zephaniah gives his reason for the silence here. The day of the Lord is coming. This day of judgment, this day of him bringing punishment. It's, it's on Zephaniah's mind a lot as he's reporting the news to this people. Listen to how many times he talks about it. Verse 7, the day of the Lord is near. Verse 8, on the day of the Lord's sacrifice. Verse 9, on that day. Verse 10, on that day. Verse 12, at that very time. Verse 14, the great day of the Lord is near. Verse 15, a day of wrath, distress, anguish, ruin, devastation, darkness, gloom. Or verse 16, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry. The day is on his mind. He feels it coming. Zephaniah and Jeremiah prophesied in approximately 610 BC, about 25 years before Judah fell to Babylon in 586 BC. Judah was overthrown and almost everything was destroyed. So certainly, that's one fulfillment of this prophecy. However, in verses 2 to 3 and a few other verses throughout the chapter, we see phrases like, all mankind will be cut off eventually. And that didn't happen, right? That didn't happen 25 years later. Or all the earth, and that didn't happen. And so the way we see New Testament authors understand this day of the Lord talk is that it's a pointer to the final day when Jesus will come and will bring about final destruction on all of sin and on all those who have stayed unrepentantly in their sin. And so it's like Judah is acting out a real-life metaphor for something so much bigger than itself. Listen to how Romans 2, verses 5 and 8 talk about this day. It says, Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. For those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath in fury. So there's a day coming. Zephaniah was talking about it. There's two fulfillments here. There's a day coming when everything will be repaid justly. Every sin will be punished. Those who do not repent, thinking they can complacently just keep running after sin or actually storing up wrath and fury for themselves is not something you want to be doing. God sees. A day is coming. And don't get me wrong, this is a loving, kind crystal clear pointer to repentance for all those who heard it, <laughs> for the people of God and the nations around them. You talk this way today, it's going to be said that you're hateful and unloving, but this is a loving, crystal clear call back to God for the people of God and the nations around them. As the nations are punished, as the people of God are punished, people are going to stand back and go, God is holy. He's the treasure. He's the Lord. And this is a loving chance to repent before it's too late. Now, an example, I was trying to think of how to give an example of this. And um, you can imagine a situation where you're, you're somewhere on the road and you, you look out of the corner of your eye and all you see out of the corner of your eye is a dad or a mom yanking their kid's arm and the, and the kid falls on the grass. And what would your first thought be? That's not Okay. That was mean. That was harsh. That was too much. But now imagine that you go and you say, well, what, what was that about? And you realize that this 
two or three or four-year-old, however old kid, was about to jump into traffic. They're about to jump into traffic and just be completely done. And the mom or dad says to you, I had to grab them. I had to be strong. I had to pull them back because otherwise they were headed and there was a truck coming. That's what this harsh, in-your-face warning is like. See, there's a truck coming. That truck is God. And I'm trying to pull you off the street. I'm trying to get you to see him and see what's real before it's too late. So if you're sitting here and your main worry in these days is about the way the world is going out there, know that God will deal with every sin. You don't need to worry about it. You don't need to deal with every sin. God's going to deal with every sin. But let this text stir up repentance in ourselves and plead for repentance for a lost, complacent world around us that doesn't know a truck is coming, that doesn't know sure destruction is coming, and plead that God might pull us back to be a a holy, sanctified, satisfied, restful church in him, and that as we share that hope in him, that others might be pulled from destruction and into true life. Point number four, last one, humbled and hidden in Christ. All right, so summary, sin is serious, we all sin. God sees it, so we can't be complacent. A day of wrath is coming, and we can't avoid it. So what do we do? What do we do? Look at verse 7 again. It says, be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. And then it has this phrase, the Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. I would just say that this is the first gospel note or gospel glimmer in this text. Notice what Zephaniah calls this day of punishment. What does he call it? Sacrifice, right? He's using words that they would know. You're profaning my temple. Let me tell you about another sacrifice that's coming. This is language that would have been familiar to these readers of the Old Testament. A sacrifice was how sin was paid for. Right, you brought your sacrifice and the priest went for you and made the sacrifice to atone for your sin. And Zephaniah is saying that on the final day of the Lord, the sacrifice for sin will be the final destruction and slaughter of all those who have not turned to God. It will be as if there's a giant altar and those who have embraced sin and tried to do it on their own and acted unrepentantly, acted as if God didn't exist, will be on it and then will be destroyed and sent to eternal punishment. It's really a pretty grotesque and vivid picture. <laughs> He's trying to paint here. You want to profane my sacrifices? Let me tell you about the sacrifice that's coming on this day of wrath. But look at one more phrase in verse 7. Along with this prepared sacrifice, it says, the Lord has consecrated his guest. And the, and the Hebrew here literally means the Lord has set apart his called ones. Set apart his called ones. So along with this sacrifice, there's a group of set apart called ones. Well, what are they doing? Right? Who wants to go to this kind of sacrifice? Well, the verb for called ones, when it's used this way in the Old Testament, is most commonly used when someone would invite others to come with and participate in eating a sacrifice made for sin. So listen to 1 Samuel 16.5. And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. 
So what we're seeing in this phrase is that people set apart, called to witness the sacrifice, but not on the altar themselves. Zephaniah is saying this group of people are somehow kept safe from the sacrifice on the day of the Lord and instead are called to witness it from that safe place. Our only hope to avoid the ultimate sacrificial slaughter of all opposed to God in the end is to be a part of this set-apart group who are not on the altar but who are now safe with God to witness the sad and serious destruction Now let's get right to the point. Jesus is the only way to avoid the punishment of the day of the Lord. That's the way the New Testament talks over and over again. The day of the Lord is the day when all God's wrath for sin is going to be poured out. And yet there is hope to avoid it because Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God. The picture in Zephaniah and throughout the whole Bible is either you'll be on the sacrifice, you'll be on the altar, or you'll trust Jesus on the altar on your behalf. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. He's the perfect high priest. Jesus was led to the slaughter so that if we believe in him, we don't need to be led to the slaughter. That's good news. This is the way to be safe, the way to avoid the sacrifice. Jesus is the God-man who was sent to be the perfect sacrifice for sins. And Zephaniah is using this language on purpose to incite right, the, the vivid pictures of sacrifice for this group of people. Here's how the author of Hebrews says, he has appeared, that's Advent, right? Jesus has come, here he is. Why? Once for all at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. In other words, Jesus says, I'll get on the altar, (laughs) right? I'll, I'll be on the cross. You don't have to be the sacrifice. I'll be the sacrifice for you. So that if we've seen Jesus as the only hope for forgiveness and salvation, then we can be hidden with Christ in God, Colossians 3, 4, from that final day of wrath and caught up into glory with him. Indeed, if we trust Christ, this is amazing news. I hope this doesn't get old to you. You've seen how serious sin is, right? If we trust Christ, all the wrath intended for us, the tidal wave of wrath that should crash on us because of our sin has fallen on Jesus. And now all that power is aimed for our good rather than for our punishment. How are we hidden? What's the response to the seriousness of sin in the day of the Lord that shows we're not complacent but instead hoping in Jesus? Well, in chapter 2, in verses 1 and 2, Zephaniah calls them to gather quickly before this day comes. He says, gather together, Gather together, you shameless people, right? You people that don't long for God but long for other things. Gather before the judgment falls. And what are they to do as they gather? Look at verse 3. Bob already prayed this. They're supposed to gather to seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. That is good news. Seek him. Humble yourselves. Repent. The response should be repentant hearts, not complacent hearts. And the response from a repentant heart is what? It's, it's humility. Right? Like Bob prayed so well, like, I'm not going to lift my wisdom above your wisdom. I'm not going to lift my plans above your plans. I'm not going to lift my way of life above your way. I'm not going to say I get to decide what's right and wrong. I'm just going to humble myself before you and say, you're God. <laughs> you're the treasure. 
right? You're the Lord. You're the creator. You get to tell me what's right. And if I'll, if I'll humble myself before you, I'm going to walk into flourishing and hope and joy. And if I walk away from you, I'm done. Right? That's the point here. Maybe today's your day. <laughs> You get to repent for the first time and say, I've been running after other things. I want Jesus now. Or maybe today's just the day where you repent again. I've been complacent. I've disregarded you, but I'm coming to repent again. The Christian life is a life of repentance. We never arrive. We repent over and over again for the ways we don't treasure him most or treat him as Lord of our life. We repent for mixing our worship. We repent from our complacency. We repent and turn humbly to the perfect sacrifice again. We seek him, right? We seek his righteousness. We praise God that we have his righteousness in Christ completely and we plead for help to turn from sin and walk in more righteousness day by day. We ask him to help us stay humble and we praise God that we're hidden in Christ. And for those that can see this, that see the seriousness of sin, know that God sees it, know that this day of wrath is coming and turn to Jesus in hope, Jesus becomes our strong tower. We were saying it right before the sermon. A mighty fortress is our God. We're safe. Right? He becomes our fortress. He becomes our ark to get us through the waters of judgment. Our safe place to get us all the way home. We're in him and we're safe if we trust in him as our sacrifice. So if that's you, if you trust in Christ, you have sure hope in this Advent season. Rock solid hope. Sin is real, judgment is coming, but for us, it's been paid for, right? To, and I hope that what this does is not just feel like, oh, my sin is so horrible. It should do that. Sin is serious. But when you see the reality of sin and you see what Jesus did, you rejoice, right? He paid it all, all to MIO, right? Sin, it left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. I, I couldn't have done it. I couldn't have paid for it, but he did, like, this is amazing news. If sin is this serious and Jesus is this real, then we should be people most rejoicing, of a most sure and steady hope. So my prayer is that as we come to the communion table, this would be a moment of repentance and a moment of rejoicing for us as a people. Yes, God, sin is serious. You see it. I've been complacent. I've run after other things. But Jesus is real, and he's paid for it, and I want to turn and walk with him again. Let me lead you, leave you with these words from Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4, that I think are the New Testament picture of this calling from Zephaniah. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life, hear these words, is hidden, hidden, safe, secure. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, second coming, Advent, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let me pray. So Lord, we're going to come now and eat and drink with our Savior. Oh God, help us to... Help us to see reality, Lord. Help us not play games. Help us see our sin as real as it is, as serious as it is. Help us know that you see it that real and that serious. Help us know that a day is coming 
And Lord, would that stir us up over and over again to repentance? Would that stir us up over and over again to rejoicing in the gospel that saved us? Would that stir us up over and over again towards mercy, compassion, and gospel witness to a lost world who doesn't know the truck is coming? Now pour out your grace on us. Keep you, keep yourself right in line with our vision day by day this Advent season. Lord, we need your help. We need your grace. Lord, grant us repentance. Grant us rejoicing. Grant us great hope that we don't need to be on the altar because our Savior came and lived a perfect life, starting as a baby, died the death we deserve to die on that altar in our place, rose again to conquer death, and is coming back to make all things new and bring his trusting people with him to eternal joy in your presence where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're here um, and you don't want to come forward, you just want to meditate in your seats, you can raise your hand and we'll bring the elements to you. If you're here and you're not yet trusting in Jesus uh, as the, the sacrifice for your sins, the payment for your sins, uh, we'd ask you just to let this pass by, but feel free to talk to anyone in here. They would love to tell you about the hope they have in Jesus. doesn't have to be me. can be anyone in here. We all want to tell you about Jesus and hope that today might be the day where you repent and say, yeah, I want him. I want his forgiveness. I want to be saved by his blood. If you're here and there's some sin, I don't know what your threshold is that you're jumping over, um, but wherever it is where you're mixing worship with God with worship with other things, if there's an area where you just know, man, I love this more than I love Jesus, and I'm not yet willing to lay it down, 1 Corinthians 11, a lot like Zephaniah says, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't play these games. You can't pretend to worship Jesus while you worship your idols. And, and judgment would come. It says discipline would come. And so we'd ask you to uh, pass on this. But again, don't stay there. Bring it into the light. Get help. We'd love to help you walk towards Jesus here. And if you're here and there's some brokenness or bitterness in the body, this is a meal of God's people who have differences about 100 other things but who are unified in our, our affections in our salvation in Jesus Christ. And this meal is a, a family meal meant to display that. But if you're here, and yeah, there's some relationships that are hard, and yeah, there's some sin in your life you're struggling against, but man, how you want more of Jesus in all those things, how you want his mercy and his grace to flood in and break the power of canceled sin, how you want his mercy and grace to flood in and bring reconciliation. This is a meal for broken sinners who need God's grace. And I pray that this would be a time of repentance and rejoicing for you. So uh, take a few minutes and pray and repent. And then I pray that by the time you're up here eating and drinking with Jesus, remembering his sacrifice, that's what we're doing here, you'd be going back to your seats just ready to sing <laughs> and shout about the God who took our place on that altar. So let me read the words of institution as you bow your heads. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So take a few minutes and come when you're ready.